Hey everybody, welcome to Community Broadband Bits Podcast. This is episode 286. Also known as it's been five and a half or six and a half years or something like that. Can you believe we're still around? Today we're going to do our annual prediction show. And we're going to be talking about what we predicted last year for this year. And then we're going to also create some predictions for 2018. I think we should start with the elephant in the room. That is network neutrality. Somebody, somebody make an elephant noise. Awesome, Nick. By the way, we have Nick here along with Hannah. I just came from D.C. to do that. I'm actually not going to talk on this podcast anymore. Hello, everyone. <laughs> okay, so the first thing we need to do is we need to start with a quote. And this is the quote we're starting with. No good will come out of the FCC. Any guesses, anybody? Any guesses? Aristotle. Chris? Uh, I, I think I should go by fearless leader now. That's right, fearless leader. You're the one who said it, and we were talking about Ajit Pai's FCC, and yes, that ended up happening. So let's talk a little bit about network neutrality. Well, we didn't really make a specific prediction last year whether or not it would be revoked. My prediction would have been it would not have been because I thought it would take longer. I literally didn't think that they would do it so quickly. But when you just say, hey, who cares about the public process? You can do things really quickly. Right. And and I think we all were in general agreement with that. But let's just do a prediction on it right now while we're talking about it. And in general, I'd like to start with Chris. What do you think is going to be the reaction to this? We're seeing a lot more organizing at the local level. People are taking this very seriously. And I think that we will see the beginnings of a movement that's kind of like the environmental movement, but it will be for the Internet, uh, for people that want to make sure that that Internet access is preserved and that it's not dominated by massive companies. I, I think people are rightfully afraid the Internet could turn into radio, which, by the way, I listened to this morning. And I think radio in almost any urban area is a disaster. It was all ads. It was bad music. It was totally uninspiring. It was stupid talk. And so there's a fear that the Internet could turn into that and, and basically be a very promising technology that is wasted by monopoly capitalist system. And to those of you rebroadcasting this on a community radio network, thank you so much for your support. <laughs> no, I think community radio people will be one of the first people to admit that radio is a disaster. And in fact, it is only these few outposts where you can actually have creative content that it sets it apart from all the rest of commercial radio, where you have freaking like three people probably own half of the radio in the United States. It's awful. Chris, Chris, it's really all about Internet radio now. No one listens to the actual radio. We're, we're like three minutes into this show and my heart rate is already up at an alarming level. So one of the things that I think we will see is more of these broadband and beers kinds of events. We've seen them in Longmont and Fort Collins and in Colorado where people get together and they talk about these sorts of things. And I think that will lead to more local organizing and local actions. So I really hope that people are starting to think about this. They're spreading the word on social media saying, hey, you know, next Tuesday, like a bunch of us will just get together at a local bar that's locally owned and we'll talk about this issue and we'll see what happens and we'll start organizing around it. That's what's going to be happening in 2018, I think. And that will lead to action toward the end of the year um, in general to try and prevent more consolidation and basically corporate destruction of the Internet. Yeah. And Chris, kind of going off of that, I really do think that 
the state level action and the the local level action about this is activating uh, a lot a lot of people and it's actually a responsibility of organizations like ours organizations like some of our allies to turn that activation into something productive and i think the broadband and beers is something that you're um really good at as a model and i think that that's what we need to do is tell those stories of people and i think lisa that means you're probably going to be writing up a lot of stories about these kinds of events all over the place Lisa, I'm curious. You're a legal beagle, not a legal eagle. Um, Boo. <laughs> and I'm curious where you think this will be in one year. Will we have any resolution in the courts? No. We will probably be in court. There will be at least one lawsuit. Um, I don't know at what level it will be. I would imagine it will probably still be um, within the first um, process. And I would imagine it would be probably one lawsuit that has been a combination of different parties filing a lawsuit against the FCC. I agree with Lisa on this. I think it'll be at least a couple of years before we see net neutrality again. I just wanted to make it clear for people who are listening, we will not be filing a lawsuit. It's sort of beyond us. And we we are supporters of network neutrality, but we tend not to get as involved in these battles where there are already really great organizations fighting. We tend to focus on areas where no one's really working and trying to really push things along more around the municipal networks. So uh, we will not ourselves be filing lawsuits, although I think there will be many lawsuits filed. And I'll be curious to see if any of them get wrapped up. I mean, some of them will be quite easy to wrap up. I mean, the FCC very clearly violated some aspects of the Administrative Procedures Act with some of their um, their decisions that had not been properly noticed and commented. Um, other aspects of things that we really care about uh, will certainly take longer to wrap up, I agree. And my prediction for net neutrality and really looking at this in the future is that this is going to be a way that people can understand the issue of concentration and monopoly in our economy. It is a tangible thing that they can look at and say, we do not, we cannot have these providers having such sway over our internet access. And this helps us as a bridge for ILSR because I'm more of the general person for ILSR in this podcast to be able to bridge into things like energy, to bridge into things like retail and tech and those types of things. And I think this is a really, really useful moment that millions of people are really, really mad about this. You're right, Nick. A lot of people are really mad. And actually, that will lead us into what I think is the next topic, um, state laws. You know, as Chris pointed out earlier, people are really upset about this. And there's been a lot of interest in um, local communities establishing their own municipal networks. We've seen a lot of articles written about it. People have contacted us at a little bit higher rate than normal. And as I think um, there will be a reaction to that, I think there's going to be even more bills introduced at the state level than there usually is that are potential barriers to local authority. Now, let's (laughs) let's go back to last year. So last year, um, we we were kind of looking at this as sort of a competition as to who who predicted what and how correct they were and 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 let's just be put the big news up front nick was so wrong to set the record straight because you can go back into our transcripts even i said i was going to be bold and that i hoped i was wrong and i just really wanted to stir a controversy so i'm not taking a full l on this one this is classic trump it's classic trump from nick here right now which is that you you tweet out ridiculous things on both sides so you can always say i'm i was right i was definitely right controversy stirred nick 
Okay. Nick, it's really great to have you back in Minnesota. Thanks for coming home. 15 states you predicted would have bills introduced to restrict local authority. Hannah had predicted 10. Uh, Chris had predicted five, and I had predicted between zero and five. There were six that we know that were introduced, but out of those, several of those were not, didn't really go anywhere. We had a fight about whether to count them. Well, to be clear, and you can go back and listen or read the transcript, we were talking about serious fights. So my position is that Lisa won the bet, even Yay. though if we went by just how many bills were introduced, then I would have won the uh, the forecast. So there you go. I win the satisfaction of winning. And to just refresh the folks, I mean, the biggest one was Virginia. And then there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of coverage of the Michigan um, issue, although in Michigan, the bill was not actually, go, would never really win anywhere in the legislature. It was a bigger media fight because people freaked out at how stupid it was. And then there was things that most people didn't notice, like there was Maine and Alabama and Georgia, uh, maybe had a little bit and, and one other that I'm forgetting. So there was, oh, Colorado, oh, Missouri had, yeah, it was one in Colorado. I think it didn't even get introduced, but it was close. So, Chris, you had thought that in Tennessee and North Carolina, the states would actually roll back the rules. Well, if you go back to the transcript, <laughs> I love these transcripts. Should thank Jeff Hoyle for getting us started and yes, doing that. Yes, thank them. you, Jeff. We love you, Jeff. Um, we um, we started talking about it, and I predicted that in North Carolina that they would allow pine tops to continue being connected, but that they wouldn't do anything else. And then I was talking about how bullish I was on Tennessee removing the barriers to Chattanooga expanding and the other municipal networks that are doing so well. Um, and I talked myself into saying that I was going to be bold. I followed Nick's path of error, and I was bold in saying North Carolina would roll it back. But instead, North Carolina really focused on um, just really their Republicans doing everything they could to try to to try and stop Roy Cooper, who was elected governor, from doing anything. And so, unfortunately, North Carolina has been more focused on political controversy than actually any sort of thing that would actually make the state better off. Right. And, you know, what that does is it points out that, you know, we don't have a crystal ball and there's all these other external factors that really can influence what happens in telecommunications. Especially, I think Michigan is a good case for this. Um, knowing from the press releases we're sending out and keeping track of these types of things, Michigan was really a surprise because they have a different kind of legislative calendar than a lot of these other states. And we were actually, you know, preparing, kind of talking about what types of things are going to come up in the beginning of the year when a lot of state legislatures are in session. And then we were hit by this huge, this bill that would be really awful. And I think it's instructive that we take these cases where it's actually kind of ridiculous the ways that they're carving out things so municipal municipalities cannot uh, get access to funding for municipal broadband or even exploring their options. And we point out and we say, why are you making this argument? So I, I would agree with Chris, you know, we did focus on the big the big fights, but also we need to call out the faulty logic in the small fights that could just pop up randomly as well. And I'm curious to see what Hannah wants to say about this, but I feel like in general, where Democrats have power, they are totally failing to explain to rural America or rural Minnesota or rural North Carolina 
why they should start voting for, for Democrats. And I don't say this because I think people should be voting for Democrats. Our position is generally that we think whoever you vote for, you should be demanding better representation from them. But it is very clear to us that in general, the Republicans have been doing a poor job of representing rural areas because of all the money that's going to the big carriers, the lack of investment in rural areas and whatnot. And so what I'm finding interesting is I feel like there is a market opportunity almost for Democrats, and they seem unable to talk to people in rural areas, in part because of, uh, I think they in some ways think of them as being more simple and only interested in guns or abortion or something. And it just frustrates me as someone who cares so much about economics to see year after year the Democratic Party failing to to make this an issue. Like there's no one competing for votes in rural America, I feel like. And so... I would like to see people in North Carolina and elsewhere, you know, I'd like to see Democrats really coming forward with a bold vision to actually connect these people to the Internet and force the Republican Party to actually do something other than shoveling money at the incumbents. Yeah, sometimes it feels like the Democratic Party based their platform on all the billboards that they read in rural areas rather than on what rural communities actually want. So many times in urban areas, when I'm talking about internet service for rural communities, urban people are like, but what do they need it for? How does that work? And, and it's very simple that they haven't seen the connection between what they do and like everyday life also happens in rural areas. Just because it takes 20 minutes to get to a Walmart doesn't mean that they don't need to go there. So as we're as we're sort of I think we've wrapped up where we thought we might be um, dealing with the state legislature, I would I would predict for the next year that uh, there will be no new barriers that are enacted. And I think we will see fewer than five proposed. I think state elected officials have finally gotten the message or at least leadership in these states has gotten the message that cracking down to remove options for local Internet choice is unpopular. And so I predict that most of the bills we see this year will actually be to improve Internet access and local Internet choice. They'll be trying to empower municipalities or um, perhaps protecting privacy or things like that. I think we are past the area in which we have to seriously worry about barriers going through. doesn't mean we can lower our guard. The reason that we will see fewer barriers is because we are ready to take them on and we have uh, you know, um, we have people that are having beer together that are ready to get out in the streets and to organize to stop them. Um, so I think that's going to send a message and we're going to see fewer barriers proposed. I think a lot of states will also be looking at what laws are on the record regarding co-ops and removing some of the smaller barriers that they didn't even know were there. Um, that happened this, just, just this year in Tennessee. I want to hear more about co-ops, but for the record, I want to I disagree with Chris and I think there'll be six or more. I just want to pull out a quote from last year that hasn't come up yet, okay. which is another quote from me, uh-huh. which I'm going to rate as possibly my best prediction. We all think the federal government is just going to say, rural America, you can suck it. That was my quote, and I'm standing by it. The federal government has basically told rural America, which overwhelmingly elected the Republicans who are running this country the federal government had turned their back on rural America. That's right. And we were all talking about that quote um, in the other room when we were preparing for this discussion. And um, we wanted to bring that up as well. And I think uh, the rest of us are in agreement that that still stands. Hannah, 
Sure. Nick? Definitely. So, Hannah, cooperatives, are they going to help rural America? Yeah, definitely. Just this past year, we have seen so many more cooperatives coming out of the woodwork, building internet service out to these far-flung rural areas. I imagine that will just continue into this next year. I predict in one year when we're sitting here in the office, Hannah might be at grad school, but we'll call her in. We're going to see more than 105 I'm predicting there's going to be, I was predicting 100 by the end of the year. I'm going to be bold and say that next year we'll have 105 rural electric co-ops that are offering some kind of service to businesses and residents. That almost feels like a conservative estimate. What's your number? I was thinking closer to 150. But I was also counting partnerships with telephone co-ops. Sounds good. Partnerships. Um, I was wondering about that, too, because we'd also discussed that for the 2017 discussion. We had predicted, and I think we were mostly right, that we weren't going to see a whole lot of movement on um, new partnerships, um, that there was a lot of chit-chat, but not a lot of action. And I think that's correct. Yeah, I think that's accurate in the sense that we define partnerships, which is both sides sort of actively taking a role. There has been more of these things that are called partnerships, <laughs> where you may have the public sector building something and leasing it to the private sector or something like that. And that's a model that, that again, we like all models. That's a, it's a perfectly valid model, but it's not what we would call a, a partnership. Um, and the, it's just an open access or a, a lease arrangement, which is, uh, um, which is, I think, again, is perfectly fine. It's just not the kind of partnership we see in Westminster or we saw in um, with the um, Urbana-Champaign communities. Um, it's not even, I mean, where Huntsville and Google, I think, was it is a lease arrangement, but yet it was kind of more of a partnership than, than a typical lease arrangement. So um, I think we may see a few in 2018. I think that people are still trying to figure out how to do this. Um, I still think that the, the best approach to move forward is looking at the city building assets itself and leasing them, which, again, is in some ways what Westminster is doing. But the way that they have the financial arrangement with Ting makes it more of a partnership. So so I, w- I said there would be no more of those, really. I don't think we had a, a true partnership n- developed in 2017. So I'd stick by that. Hannah and I had been talking about pole attachments. Um, now, not necessarily as they relate to partnerships, but um, she had made a, a prediction for 2017. She had predicted that more cities would be passing ordinances that dealt with one-touch make-ready and um, related type um, smaller um, ordinances and rules that would help to advance the, an environment that would improve internet access. You want to comment on that, Hannah? What I actually said was I didn't think cities would be doing a whole lot with polls this year and instead would be focusing on other small ordinances oh, okay. because I thought because I thought polls were too controversial. Oh, that's right. Okay. But as it turns out, a couple cities this year had several good things happen with um, polls, um, like San Antonio, Texas, passed an ordinance around that um, for one-touch make-ready policy. Um, Louisville, Kentucky turned out okay. Which is to say that they won their court case. That is perhaps more accurate. They did win their court case. So this year, I actually think there will be more uh, one-touch make-ready policies put in place. Hey, all 
Don't forget us in your year-end giving. Hey, if you still have a few dollars left, you could ship them to us to make more great content, do research, and make sure that we are generally providing the kinds of news and information that will help us to defeat the big cable and telephone monopolies. It's worth noting that when you support us, it doesn't just make us feel good and pay the bills. It also makes us get through those hard days when we've been punched in the mouth by the FCC. Because knowing that you care enough to send us some money to make sure we can keep the doors open, uh, it really is helpful in those times when we're down, and I'm afraid we have a few of them ahead of us. Please donate at ilsr.org slash donate. Once again, that's ilsr.org slash donate. But now, back to our prediction show. As far as large cities go, last year, Christopher, you had predicted that you thought there might be more larger-sized cities that would be um, looking more seriously and maybe even investing in municipal networks. Um, Now we know San Francisco is taking it seriously. Seattle's still sort of on the table. Not really. Okay. <laughs> Seattle so Seattle has great work from Upgrade Seattle. They're a real model for how people can get involved and, and organize to push the city. The city has taken some steps to include broadband in its long-term planning. But the new mayor it was pretty unequivocal that she is in the pocket of Comcast and CenturyLink from that's what I right. can tell. That's right. I remember. But anyway, San Francisco, any other – do you think that's going to continue to – do you think there'll be more larger cities or – I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see. I mean, New York has a has a, New York City has an RFP out. I believe they're looking for or at least an RFI of some sort where they are looking for proposals to uh, where the city might invest and partner. So um, that could take care of both our our partner prediction and our large city prediction. Um, you know, I do think we'll see large cities continuing to try to figure this out, if only because of the net neutrality ruling. Now they're very concerned and. This gets into a prediction of mine, and I'm, I'm curious, Nick, if um, what you think about it coming from the heart of D.C., um, which is that I think we will see, because of the net neutrality reversal, I think we'll see some kind of harmless prioritization schemes where um, AT&T or Comcast will be creating some kind of products that engage in prioritization around telemedicine in order to just try and get people comfortable with the idea so that later they can engage in other kinds of shenaniganery Yes, shenaniganery with our connections. You know, I think it's an interesting question, Chris. And I think really what we're looking at is, is it seems to twofold. Getting people used to the idea of paid prioritization, you know, through a helpful, I would even say not harmless, a helpful, you know, like prioritizing telemedicine or prioritizing those types of things that we really like. Um and then there's also the other route that I think is more likely that there's not going to be anything on prioritization. I think they're going to stay off of it for a year until some of these legal cases kind of clear out. And then they're going to start edging things in very slowly. I think everyone, and like I was saying before, a lot of people are paying attention right now. And these ISPs know that they're already super, super unpopular. And if they start monkeying around with it now, I think that they, you know, might face a bigger backlash. And actually, I think that this kind of leads into, you know, kind of trying to decide if we think that they're smart or if they are foolish and they want to punch too hard and and overplay their hand. Well, let's let's bring Hannah and Lisa in to see what they think. I'm definitely curious if they would 
back you or back me um, in terms of where, where they're closer to. But let me just note in terms of their intelligence, um, they might be more intelligent than we are because they won the net neutrality thing and Comcast and AT&T just announced rate hikes in a bunch of areas. So they don't feel the pressure even right now when they're supposed to be on their best behavior, supposedly. So, so Lisa, what, what is your expectation in terms of prioritization or other obvious abuses of net neutrality? Uh, there is evidence that they're already abusing network neutrality, as we've pointed out before. So I think they're just going to continue with what they're already doing. And I think it's going to be like the boiling frog syndrome. Um, they're just going to continue to ramp it up. Um, but I, I think that they're emboldened. And I think that they realize that the time they have now is short-lived. So I think that they are going to go ahead and go for the gusto and get what they can as long as they can. I think that they are banking on inactivity from people. I don't know if things are going to change in the near future, but I would say by the end of the year, they'll be more obvious about breaking what we would consider network neutrality tenets. I actually agree with Nick. I think they're going to play the long game and not push their luck immediately. Within this year, Hannah? Within this year. I imagine within the next. All of my predictions are like three years out. I like it. We'll have to write all those down and make sure we don't lose the note. <laughs> um, I'm going to doctor the record. So that that all came about talking about the large cities. I think we will continue to see large cities thinking about this, making smaller investments. I really hope Madison, which is uh, 300,000-ish, um, does move forward with a citywide network that they're talking about. They're looking for partners. I will note that people from or around Madison do not want to be called a large city. So they will say they are a small city. So take that, Chris. Well, that's that's fair enough. And it, there is wiggle room in the definition, thanks to the imprecision of the English language. Nonetheless, um, you know, larger cities, I think, will um, be more likely to do these sorts of things because they will be f- dealing with residents and businesses that feel like they are really captured. Now, I want to. So, Lisa. No. <laughs> the question is with the AT&T Time Warner merger which the Department of Justice has said that it does not want to see happen what will happen it's bittersweet it's so bittersweet um, I do not think it will happen you think AT&T and Time Warner next year will not be the same company I think that they'll just withdraw the whole thing I think that's that's my hope and I think you're right I think Department of Justice has a good case even though the 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 Trump administration is probably engaging in blatant crony capitalism agreed over CNN agreed so um you know it's unfortunate then and I certainly don't think that um I would be supporting this if the Department of Justice hadn't put forth such a good justification for blocking it. I hope that that will slow down other mergers. But Nick, as a fellow host of the Building Local Power podcast, I just want to insert broadband in there somewhere. It's just my instinct. Um, What are you thinking about mergers in the next year? So I don't think we're going to see a merger that divides the, the advocates who are concerned about concentrated economic power like the AT&T and Time Warner merger. Um, But I don't think particularly that the Trump administration will do anything about the mergers that are up right now or the ones that are going to be announced in the future. The Trump DOJ antitrust um, head is a former mergers and acquisitions uh, lawyer and lobbyist. And, you know, maybe there is some foul play with, with CNN. However, again, I don't think that this should happen on the merits. And I think we're going to look at, we're going to look 
at ATT and Time Warner, Bear Monsanto, CVS Aetna. We're going to look at all these things um, in the future and either from our dystopian hellscape where everything is by and large like in Wally, or we're going to look at it and say this was a turning point where people stood up and said this is not okay. We cannot consolidate all these industries under a single entity anymore because this is just too dangerous for our economy and our, our political economy. Hannah? I think most of the mergers will go through. I think the AT&T Time Warner merger will go through, but I'm not happy about it. I do not have a hopeful outlook for this upcoming year as far as mergers go, guys. Well, and this is a great time to throw in the continued consolidation that I expect to see uh, from the municipal side and the sort of the small scale consolidation. Uh, we have Schurz, uh, was, was looks like they bought Burlington Telecom against uh, um, our advice. Um, we see um, Bristol, Virginia is, is, is going to finally be privatized shortly. Um, a number of small firms that we've long thought were exemplary local ISPs have been HBC. bought. HBC. Yes, exactly. They're one of them has been bought. Um, I expect to see more consolidation in that space. I think that the net neutrality rulings and uh, the general sense from the Federal Communications Commission the entire federal government that um, that they're just going to allow monopolies to exert pressure on their rivals means that their rivals have to get bigger in order to be competitive. So I think we're going to see more consolidation. I think we'll see, I'll say, five cities that we might be surprised by could sell their network. And I will be incredibly disappointed and angry for those weeks whenever that happens. If it happens on a Tuesday for the rest of the week, I'll be angry in the office. So I'm sorry about that, guys. You're all going to have to <laughs> bear the brunt of that. But we're going to see some cities selling their networks and they're going to make money at it. And they're going to temporarily think it was a good idea because running these networks is difficult. But in the long term, they're going to be screwed. Uh, they're going to just be stuck with another monopoly. Uh, it may not be a monopoly tomorrow, but in 10 years, I'll, I'll bet you that there are very few local um, companies left um, that are the one that are on these consolidation sprees. This, this consolidation is a way to ultimately sell to a national player that will pay them a lot of money. So I'm, I'm very fearful of consolidation at the local level. And I'm also fearful of continued consolidation of backhaul. I feel like the markets are being distorted and it makes it harder to establish competition, even as we see more, more, more energy to create competition at the local, in the local space, it will be harder to, to sustain that in the face of the kind of rivals that are being created. I agree. I think you're right. I mean, you can only go so far with your local network and then you have to connect to something. And if that's only controlled by one person or one company and they tell you what's happening, you're stuck. You know, so um, I, I agree with you. Only I don't think it'll be five that will be privatized. I'm guessing it'll be fewer. I, I'm saying three or less. Um, but anybody else have any other predictions before we wrap her up? So my prediction um, that's a little bit outside of the conversation we've had, it really focuses on media and coverage of the kinds of things that we're interested in um, in the Community Broadband Networks Initiative. I think that there's going to be more coverage of all the different kinds of models and options that cities and broader communities have, um, you know, specifically in response to the net neutrality fight, but also just in subpar internet access generally. I think that this is an issue where more general business reporters, general political reporters are, you know, sitting up, taking a little bit more notice and kind of getting out of the silo of covering 
internet access from a corporate boardroom or from the FCC. I think that there are going to be more stories of people and how they've gotten better connectivity, which is a great space for us to be in because we have those stories at Muni Networks and we have the experience. We're talking to these people all the time. And like we've said before, there's no, there's a range of models and it's what's right for your community. And I think that a lot of the journalists are really kind of trying to get their head their heads around this and we can help them with that so that's good let's end on a, a note of something that i think is quite positive and it, i don't know if there's a prediction we could we could just fake a prediction out of the end of it but it's around the media coverage nick you just made me think of um a year ago i don't think john brodkin was writing so fiercely against the cable and telephone companies uh, in the way that we see today from Ars Technica, from Motherboard. Um, you know, there's some really good writing that's being done from legitimate tech press that basically says we can't even we can't reprint these lies from the cable and telephone companies. You know, when the cable and telephone companies or some of the FCC commissioners come out and they just say things like the internet was never regulated before 2015, which is so obviously wrong on, on and, and it's just so many different levels because let's just be clear, net neutrality was a norm. It was enforced under other rules that it later turned out were not enforceable, but pre prior to that, they were still considered rules that had to be followed. And even prior to that, the federal government for many years required that anyone who owned telecommunications like wires um, for, for DSL or for dial-up had to share them with with everyone, which was far more big government, far more overreaching, stifling, whatever you want to claim these people that are opposing net neutrality are saying. Like these are these are claims that are ridiculous. And if my son, who's just learning how to talk, were to say them, I would say, stop lying, Jackson. <laughs> so my point is just that we see legitimate press saying this is ridiculous. And I think that's good, but I also think that's bad, and I'm worried about it because we're losing an ability to have like a shared conversation. And and I'm just curious if anyone else has any thoughts on this sort of this shape that we're seeing in the media where some of these lies have pushed media past its breaking point to where they just say, we cannot reprint this crap. I think what you're seeing is a response by you know, many legitimate media organizations to these lies. And also it bears out in the report and the polling about what people want from net neutrality or from internet service providers. I think you're worried that they might be, we might not be able to have this full conversation, you know, is predicated on some of the fake news types things, the, the choosing your facts and all that. But there is a point where the rubber meets the road. And if you're not able to get a certain service from a, a provider and you have no other option, that's an easy thing for anyone, regardless of their political affiliation, to notice. So what I think it might actually be is that these reporters are channeling some of the legitimate rage of many people for the cable monopoly lies that we see. This is a breaking point. And it's only because you've been so frustrated before with the opposite problem that why are these major outlets publishing what Comcast is telling them? Why are these major outlets publishing what AT&T tells them without questioning it? And so it's making you uncomfortable because it's a big sea change to see them challenging the kind of power that exists. And I think that it's finally them sitting up and saying something. I think part of it, too, is the media just feels like it needs to respond much faster. And so it's really simple to reprint a specific thing a spokesman said and it adds it can add to a story but without the specific context of how the market actually works and what the spokesperson is trying to get across 
everyone who's listening to that isn't really getting the whole story. Yeah, I think I mean, it's worth calling out that, that some people like Phil Dampier at Stop the Cap and uh, Carl Bode and basically Mike Masnick, the people at Tech Dirt, DSL Reports. Um, you know, some people have been calling this out for a while, and it's been wonderful being able to read their voices. And Ars Technica and in other places like Motherboard with Vice, which has gone in, in this direction more in terms of calling out on uh, just calling out lies straight up. Um, it is interesting that we're seeing a little bit of a blurring of the lines, I think, between you know, a willingness to call out the official spokespeople and saying, no, we, we just this is ridiculous. It's too much. It's called investigative reporting. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I'm just I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. I mean, my sense, sense is, is that in a year, you know, we'll, we'll see people accusing Ars Technica of being fake news, maybe. Uh, I think, you know, unfortunately, everything's becoming politicized. And we're already seeing it with uh, some of the folks from American Enterprise Institute and things like that, who are unabashed supporters of the big incumbents, are saying that, that John Brodkin um, is, is biased and this and that. Well, that's an advantage we have. You know, we deliver news as well, but we are a research organization. So... We can't be called fake news. We can't be called fake research. Well, this is one of the things that, that I think we do and we try to do. This is a it's a good note to end on because I think that we try to f- describe the world as it is. And there are times when people are so worried about winning arguments that they forget to be able to observe things in an, an honest manner and be able to truly describe how the world works. And, and you all know that, that we have conversations on a regular basis in the office to try and test out our assumptions, to be able to say, are we crazy? Like, can we measure this? How do we know that this is really happening? Um, and so we try to be, to be accurate. Now, at the same time, we have a bias toward we believe that, that local economies are better, that, that we want to have freedom to have self-determination and that sort of thing. Like We have a value system that we impose upon it because we think it's better if Bristol owns a network than if they sell it to another local company. And we have arguments about that. Um, but at the end of the day, we are trying to be honest about describing the world. And I think John Brodkin, you know, a lot of the writers, are, they're trying to describe the world. And on the other side, we're facing some people who think that the incumbents are good and that the wireless presents more of a competition than, than we expect. You know, people like Will Reinhart, I think, um, uh, Ryan Radia, who honestly believe that um, we're better off, you know, like giving Comcast more power because they can be innovative and things like that. But they're a minority of our opponents. Many of our opponents are just getting lots of money from the big cable and telephone companies to just say whatever they have to say in order to get those companies more power. And I just I find that incredibly frustrating. And I'm really glad that we see less of those claims uncritically reported in the press now. We will end on that because that's our fight song. Rah, rah. <laughs> so it keeps us going. So thank you so much, Nick, for coming back from D.C. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Hannah, for your wise words. Thank you, Lisa. (laughs) And thank you, Christopher, for leading us to the truth about municipal networks. Oh, yeah. (laughs) After all that, to claim that it's the truth, capital (laughs) T, truth. (laughs) Not, oh, yeah, like an I in internet. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, everyone, for avoiding that fight today. (laughs) Chris's new word this year is internetification. That's right. 
Uh, also, I learned that um, uh, the founder of Ting, well, the founder of Two Cows, which is the parent to Ting, he used Fiber Eyes, which we used in the title of a report this year previously. And so, um, so we were not very original with that either. That report features the word internetification. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 286 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Have a great holiday, and thank you for sticking with us through 2017.